Hi there, this is Luke, and on today's episode, we'll be doing things a little different. Instead of reviewing a particular film, we'll be looking at Tom McCarthy's Spotlight and Mads Mathieson's short film Dennis, and analyzing how to make the mundane cinematic. Welcome to Notes from the Silver Screen. Well, his on-base percentage is all we're looking at now. And Jeremy gets on base an awful lot for a guy who only costs 285000 Wow. Gail, you look like a medieval warrior. Gracias. That bear on fire. It was the most beautiful and terrible thing I've ever seen. So you tell Russian desk, you have seen stars over my heart. Tell them I'm through the door. I'm trying to protect myself because really there are these abrasive beatings to be avoided everywhere you look. Yeah, but Wally, don't you, don't you see that comfort can be dangerous? But we can't throw out all the goodies doing over a few bad apples. Now, you know, I'm bringing this up to you because I know this is Baron's idea, his agenda. I gotta tell you, I mean, honest to God, I mean, he doesn't care about the city the way we do. I mean, how could he? This is how it happens, isn't it, Pete? What's that? Guy leans on a guy, and suddenly the whole town just looks the other way. Oh, it is a very special episode. It's a more of a conceptual piece, talking about what makes a mundane subject interesting, pretty much. It's just a marvelous idea, because what we're talking about in particular is uh, Spotlight, the movie. And uh, the short Dennis. And I think Dennis fits the bill a little more because, well, we'll get into that. But as far as Spotlight's concerned, I remember the first time I heard about the movie, actually, was there was an NPR interview about about the movie from, uh, I don't know, the creator or someone. I can't tell you who it was, but they talked about how how it's hard to or how it was difficult for them to show the investigative journalist process in a compelling way because a lot of it a lot of the work you know in real life is just research is just going through old records and tracking people down and looking at spreadsheets and that was in the movie so i you know i remember that scene where they're going through all the old records of the catholic church to find the pedophiles and and yeah it's it's kind of an interesting idea how do you take something like that and that in real life would be pretty tedious to do yourself and show it in a compelling way that engages the audience. I think Spotlight is interesting because inherently there's there's something interesting there. There's intrigue because it is about this massive cover-up. It's pretty heavy material, you know, if it's talking about 90 pedophiles who have spent decades molesting children and the the structure and the the people in the Catholic church and even outside of the church, like the church, the clerical structure of the church, because you have the, the parents and the police and the society in general, because the church is such a fundamental aspect of their lives that they're willing to turn a blind eye, that they're willing to make excuses. So I think it's inherently a very powerful narrative and it's uh, an important one too, but the the issue is how do you make that engaging how do you make it entertaining 
because it is it is valuable it is important and you you have this innate hook of you know this big secret and and the these heavy accusations and these terrible occurrences but like you said a lot of it is going to be either people talking or people looking at files and neither of which are inherently cinematic what what's what's the short film dennis about it's a bodybuilder a danish bodybuilder the whole film was in danish but has english subs it's about uh yeah a danish bodybuilder that lives with his mother and is um trying to find it's kind of just romance a slice of life yeah film uh i think i don't know watching it like more than once it kind of like loses its impact but i remember the first time i had watched it I just stumbled across it and I just, I don't know, gave it a watch. Some, you know, I guess it stood out to somehow. I was like enthralled by it. I thought it was really interesting and really captivating, even though like the story is very, uh, I don't know, pedestrian in a way, very common. Like it's just a guy living his life pretty much, kind of like a Truman Show type thing, I guess. But we'll get into, I guess, what makes it compelling. Maybe I'll start. So um, I just had a quick little aside. It doesn't really fit into the main thrust of the episode but i was listening to i believe it was a podcast it could have been corridor cast a little while ago and they were talking about um subtitles in in film and they were talking about how watching something in a foreign language in a language that you don't understand like psychologically it has this effect on you where well they they were arguing and i think there is some merit to it that people inherently imbue foreign films with a certain quality like because it's it's foreign like it's innately more interesting and more valuable i i don't know i I feel like it's an interesting argument especially because it takes like a lot of the the acting out because you're not so much parsing the words they're saying as you're just like taking in like their tone and and their expressions and I feel like you perceive dialogue differently when you're reading it versus when you're hearing it spoken. It's kind of like how in a book you can get away with some pretty kitsch dialogue. Whereas if you were to try to have somebody say it aloud and like act it out, it falls flat on its face. And I feel like some of that plays into foreign language films where we just perceive dialogue differently. And so we kind of have a different way of, of, of rating it, or there's more of a leniency to the dialogue. One of their main points of, of discussion was anime, which I don't watch a lot of, but I mean, it is that very over the top style. And so, you know, it's one thing to read, uh, I don't know what, like, Vegeta, what does the scouter say about his power level? <laughs> it's over 9,000. One thing to read that and another to have a voice actor like acting that in your in your tongue. But anyways, that was beside the point. That was just something that I was thinking about watching foreign language films recently. Did you restate the thesis? Like, what's the main point of everything you said? That, that like language, spoken language is more better, worse? So it's just different. So my, so there's kind of, I was kind of saying two things. So my thing is we 
perceive dialogue differently when we're reading it versus when we're hearing it. So you can get around, you can get away with a, a lot more written dialogue than you can spoken as far as like the tone and you can be like a lot more exaggerated or a lot more stylized in written dialogue versus in spoken dialogue. In spoken dialogue, something can become cheesy very fast, whereas you can really push that limit in written dialogue. And so that that's my my argument. That's as far as I'm going to go with mine. But they were saying that in foreign language films, we innately perceive what's happening as more important. We give it more value because it is in a different language. Okay. Yeah. I think that especially like certain pieces where dialogue is like the most important thing, especially like the sunset limit or something like that, where that's all there really is. Yeah. I don't know. I think it can allow for nuance and, uh, you know, that's the role of the actor to just take the words and portray it in a certain way. But yeah, I think it can depend on the medium too, or not the medium really, but the genre, like the story, depending on the focus and how it's presented, like the importance of the dialogue kind of is on the spectrum, right? Like, or at least the focus on it becomes more or less important. That's my take. Not not to beat a dead horse, but I, I thought of a different way of phrasing what I wanted to say. I feel like when you're reading dialogue, you're kind of mentally distilling it down into the, the ideas. So when you're reading dialogue, at least me personally, all I'm really taking in is like what the current state of the character is and what are the, the ideas expressed. Whereas when I'm listening to dialogue, I feel like it's it's more holistic like i'm not doing as much work on my end to to kind of process it and so i feel like that's where sometimes you could run into walls where something just doesn't feel right or doesn't sound right i also feel like the dialogue when it's spoken has to be more realistic has to be more grounded whereas reading because you're doing all of this processing on your end, you know, it can get a little bit out there and, and you won't really notice it. It won't, won't cause you to bump against it. Um, but yeah, so Dennis is, is kind of a slice of life and not, not a lot happens. I mean, it's just one day in the life of a, a bodybuilder in, in Denmark. He, is he Danish? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Danish. Denmark. Okay. Yeah, because he said he's training for like the Danish championship or something. Oh, right, right, right. So I think there's a few, a couple, few things that make it really interesting to me, and looking at it like kind of from an analytical standpoint, like what makes it so engaging, what makes it work. I think the first thing is, um, it's just kind of like a, I'm gonna call it a voyeurism you're like looking at someone's personal life that you haven't met before that you don't know. And you're looking at them kind of in certain vulnerable situations because th there's really um, three main characters, I would say just like uh, Patricia that he goes on the date with Dennis himself and his mother. And so you're seeing 
like his interaction with these people that like one like well like with his mother it's not a healthy relationship right so i think there's just kind of that like i said voyeurism that kind of thing that it's just it's gossip really gossip in a movie form you know that's what i think is tapping into the same kind of base thing that makes people perk up when they're you know talking behind someone's back someone but and then also you know his his going on a date with patricia that's like a vulnerable state so it makes him um more of a sympathetic uh a protagonist and the second thing is i think a certain subversion of expectations which also feeds into making him a sympathetic um protagonist and also you know just making the film generally interesting because like he's a he's like a big guy right like that he's a bodybuilder he's freaking huge and then to see him and you know his actions his character is very uh like quiet reserved guy he's a big teddy bear and he's just trying to to like find you know romance with someone in a not a very good environment since he lives with his mom who is kind of wanting to monopolize his time and and you know keep control over him in a certain sense and so i think that like if you just look at him on the street make you know you, you would just kind of maybe read the book by its cover so to speak and just see him as a big strong guy and to see that vulnerability of him trying to reach out and trying to be nice to his mom even though she's kind of a horrible person um is is very compelling the the feature film that they they use the short to get funding for the english title is is teddy bear which i think is interesting with you talking about his his character that he he's this muscle-bound guy who in in other films he plays like you know the henchman or the the bodyguard the the tough special forces type guy who's going around killing people but in this i mean it is that kind of he's he's very quiet very reserved timid i especially um it, it rung true to me that idea of voyeurism Rewatching it i i was paying attention to the style and the cinematography and the entire short is shot handheld um which if we're being honest is probably because of budget restraints but I felt like it played perfectly into the style because we are just following this man around in his life and it provided a certain realism and grounding to it. And I also loved that in the house, in Dennis's house where he's, you know, we show his, his morning routine and then his mom comes home. A lot of the shots are shot like from outside of his room looking in. So we have a frame within a frame and it's kind of like isolating him and, and kind of like trapping him in there. But it also makes us super aware of of where we are. And it kind of grounds us as, oh, we're in this house with Dennis. We're, we're you know, moving through this space with him. And that handheld and, and, and framing of, you know, putting him frame within a frame inside of this doorway or inside of the architecture of the house. I felt like it did a really good job of, of grounding us there and putting us in his shoes. 
Yeah, I was I was a fan of the the cinematography in general, and one thing that's really pivotal is is the the performance. Oh, I wish I knew his name. The actor who plays Dennis, because um, he he doesn't have a, a lot to work with. He's he's on screen for the whole thing, but he doesn't have a ton of lines. You know, the whole opening sequence until the mom comes home, he's just alone. We can we just see or I, I guess he does call her, but most of it is just us spending time with him as he as he works out, as he gets dressed, as, as he does all of that. And I, I also just watched. Um, what was it called? The, the film I recommended to you with Jorge Garcia. I want to say you were never really here, but that's the Lynn Ramsey film. No, um, I don't know. I don't remember. Anyways, it's this Netflix film um, with Jorge Garcia. And he he spends most of his runtime alone or in his own head while people talk to him. He, he never really answers or he gives really uh, curt you know, one or, or two word answers. And I feel like that's an interesting challenge to to create a character that we engage with when we're not given the opportunities we normally have to to listen to them and to engage with them on an ideological level to kind of create this parody between the audience and the character. Do you have any thoughts on why we we connect with Dennis? Cause he's a nice guy. Yeah, his he's a nice guy, man. Cause he just wants what we all want. Just wants to be loved. You know, I guess there's also um, the history of his father being an alcoholic. I think that that's part of it. Do you have anything else you wanted to touch on with Dennis, or do you want to jump over to Spotlight? I do, cause I just wanted to say that I I think I guess two things. I think the uh, the sh format it, I think the format of it as a short works really well. I haven't seen, you know, the full length movie. It's not great. I think short films are marvelous because it allows you just to take a simple idea and make something of it. I think it's kind of like a a good entry point like looking at Dennis like the camera work like you said it looks handheld it, and it kind of it's not like the best quality it's not like a you know a blockbuster movie quality camera and it's a very simple idea it's only 20 minutes long so i think that's marvelous that you can without like any big budget you can just take a camera and some friends if you wanted and and make something compelling from a simple idea so i really like the short film genre because of that and i think it sometimes even the shorts are better than the films. Like I saw, um, yes, God, yes. With, uh, Natalie Dyer. And that was a really compelling short. And the film, like it was really just the same idea. It's just, just longer stretched out so, three times, yeah. four times as long. And so I think if you just have an idea that you want to share, uh, a short film can work really well for that. Cause it's has a certain concise nature to it that, Let's you say what you need to say without anything else. And I think the thing about Yes, God, Yes was that like the movie bit of it. Because I found like the idea of it compelling, like 
the perception of morality within the, you know, the Catholic church. Um, I thought that was an interesting idea and something worth exploring, but as a movie, it just seemed, uh, like a little too mundane, I guess if that makes sense. Like, uh, yeah, I think it's maybe just the length of it that it works well better as a short because it allows you to say what you need to say in a certain time frame, and then it's done rather than. Well, I think uh, a very interesting part of of short films is because of the limited runtime, it lets you it lets the story become hyper focused on the theme that you're trying to explore or the idea you're trying to express with uh, which can be done with a feature film, but it requires a lot more work because you'd, you'd be hard pressed to create a 90 plus minute runtime film with a single story. It's just you're not going to have enough linear drive, enough momentum to, to engage an audience for 90 minutes if you only have one story. So that's why we have B plots and C plots and and uh, background or um, secondary characters. So in in a feature film, you have the opportunity to explore more relationships with characters, more character arcs. And in a good film, you would have a B plot that mirrors the the main narrative of the film mirrors the a plot or um either runs parallel or contradicts it to kind of amplify or accentuate the themes or the message of the film but there's also the the opportunity that there's there's not enough substance there right which i feel like is what you're saying with yes god yes i i haven't seen the feature on that, but uh, Dennis is, I guess Dennis is an okay example because it isn't, it doesn't really have a, a super strong thematic message. It's just a character study of this lonely man who's, who kind of other, under his mother's thumb. Um, whereas in the, the feature film, we start with Dennis in the same position, but he, decides to fly to Thailand to to meet uh, a woman to to find a wife without um, telling his mother. He goes under the guise of, of attending a, a competition, a bodybuilding competition there. And so there you have like a, a B plot with him meeting this this Thai um, bodybuilder who who really admires him and and they kind of form a friendship and there's there's just a lot more moving parts where it's easy to kind of get off the the beaten path of, of what you're driving towards in a short film and uh just as we transition off of dennis and into spotlight one last thing was they have that one like american piece of music i don't even know what song it is it's this folksy americana type um Bob Dylan esque song with just the acoustic guitar and and some uh, some vocals, and I I actually really liked that it was the same piece used three times instead of different music because it it went from you know being background music to kind of it kind of became Dennis's theme through the repeated use. I do feel like using that same piece repeatedly. Yeah, that's all, all I really had to say is it became, in my mind, Dennis's theme.
and I felt like it, it's this fun, lighthearted piece of music, which kind of contradicted the the tone of the piece because it is, if not melancholy, kind of like a dour outlook because Dennis is kind of in a hopeless place. I mean, he he lies to his mother to get out of under from out from under her thumb for one night and he gets kind of mocked made a mockery of when he's trying to just you know find love and and find an escape which is pretty sad because <laughs> no, uh, i want to talk about one more example okay. i feel like it's going to kind of weight this episode more towards the you know shorts and adaptation to film and what makes a compelling short but uh I, I was just as we were talking i started thinking of napoleon dynamite because it's my understanding that that one is from a short itself yeah i think it's called uh peluca yeah I've, and i haven't seen the short but i don't know napoleon dynamite is kind of like a breakout hit and something you want to expect and i you know i mentioned yes god yes and the future film like it's kind of worse than the than the short and there's something lost there I haven't seen the short, you know, for Napoleon Dynamite, but uh, that just stands out in my mind as a, a successful adaptation from a short to a feature film. What do you think like makes Napoleon Dynamite work as a feature film? I think like it has a lot of, you know, that's another movie that kind of like Dennis is, is has very simply, very simply shot. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not a lot of camera work in it or it's very low budget but yeah. so it's, it's kind of just a slice of life thing i think too you know in a little town but it's obviously a lot more cartoonish if you can use that word if that makes sense yeah. you know like it's it's a comedy so it, the characters are exaggerated and and nonsensical but like it just takes place in a kind of out of the place nowhere so with napoleon dynamite I feel like it's it's a hard choice for that discussion because it is a comedy. And I feel like comedy is innately uh what's the word? It's like I like the words that come coming to mind is not a word, but elucent, like evasive or hard to pin down. Uh like it's just kind you're of it's like more adaptable. They can do more it, with it well, because it, they can rely on the absurd. I'm talking about comedy in general. Like, what, what is comedic? Like, a lot of times it's about subverting expectations or examining the absurd. I think a lot of what we find humorous is absurdness. Yeah, just either subverting expectations to reach an unexpected outcome or examining common... Um, common occurrences in human in humanhood and pointing out the absurdity of them but i feel like that makes it difficult to discuss why it's successful i will say i i much prefer the cinematography of dennis to napoleon dynamite because even though the handheld you could look at it through the mirror of it showing its budget but like i said earlier i feel like it it suits the tone and even if, I mean, a tripod is like 20 bucks, they definitely had or could have had a tripod. 
but I feel like going handheld for the whole time grounded the piece. Whereas in Napoleon Dynamite, from what I remember, every single shot is a static shot. They just sit on a tripod and, and film the scene, which I honestly, the last time I watched Napoleon Dynamite, I found really distracting. And I was like craving some kind of ingenuity with the camera because it just came across as super flat, super stale to me. But I, I do feel like the feature works better than the short just because it is a little, it is wider. We do see more of Napoleon's world and that just provides us with more opportunities for, for humor with his interactions with Deb or his brother or going to the nurse's office, the uncle, um, Rex, Quando. Um, I feel like the strength in Napoleon Dynamite is in the characters because we create this small town and then we fill it with these absurd characters who, who are these extremes. Um, they, they're really caricatures of, uh, you know, like the, the tough guy or um, the nerd or the, the Latino who, who he has these, these cholo primos that show up with a low rider and hydraulics. Right. So I, I feel like I would say for me, between I, I hope it's called Palooka, otherwise I'm going to sound like an idiot. Um, and Napoleon Dynamite is that the the short, I guess it has it has like a simple linear drive. It's like uh, Pedro shaves his head and then they have to go find him a wig that fits him. So it's just most of it, I think, is just Napoleon and Pedro. And I mean, it's fine. It, it's okay, but like I wouldn't ever go back and watch it. Whereas Napoleon Dynamite, I feel like the comedy is benefited by the opportunity to to breathe and to bounce around between these different characters and locations. And just there's a lot more room to set up jokes there. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think kind of ties back to what you're saying about like uh, having in a feature film, having different story arcs in it and i think you know looking at yes god yes it's a feature film yeah i think that's what it was lacking and kind of why that fell a little shorter and it just you know that's just one aspect of it but as opposed to uh napoleon dynamite yeah so food for thought yeah th that that would be kind of interesting maybe i don't know if there's interest i think that would be fun to to kind of try to do a deeper dive into to what works as far as adaptation because what comes to mind is um uh short term 12 by uh destin cretton i think his name is who i i love the the feature but the short film just really kind of falls flat for me and i don't really know why i guess the the key to that would be finding uh, a short film that is that I really love that is super good that became a feature that was lackluster. I've heard that lights out isn't a super great feature by uh, David F. Sandberg, but that might be tough because the shorts only a minute, 50 seconds. <laughs> so uh, we're going to segue to the light and breezy topic of pedophilia and, and child molestation in the Catholic church. <laughs> Okay. 
Um, well, we already kind of covered what Spotlight is about. Like you said, you're faced with... Oh, man, what's what's the director's name? And Michael Bay? No, it's not Michael Bay. It is um Tom McCarthy. Oh, yeah, the guy that did Station Agent and The Cobbler with Adam Sandler. So. <laughs> oh, varying levels of success there. So, yeah, the... the the challenge for McCarthy is how do you make a bunch of people sitting around a table going through ledgers and sitting in interviews and office meetings, how do you make that interesting? And like I said, innately, you have an advantage by the, the subject matter being interesting and we want justice. We want to, to see the truth come to light but you're still faced with it's not interesting to to watch people do interviews and read books for for two hours and for me the biggest thing that that worked in the film is is just laser focused i think mccarthy was was great at the the helm of of spotlight because everything is very controlled and we have a lot of intercutting. So we never really stay very long with, with anybody, any particular piece of the story. We have this overarching tell of the spotlight team finding this story and then uncovering the pieces and eventually publishing and, and unearthing the, the cover-up of the Catholic Church as they protect the pedophile priests. But it's broken into these segments of you know, uh, Ruffalo and, and McAdams and Keaton and the, the other member of the team who I don't know who the actor is, as they, they interview, as they kind of battle with the politics, as they do a deep dive through the ledgers, as they battle for court records. And so the story is broken up into these little segments and taken piecemeal so that we can jump between them and it creates a, a sensation, a forward momentum of narrative drive because we always feel like we're getting closer to the goal and it always is engaging because there's never a time where we just have to sit in a room and listen to people talk for three minutes. There's always something happening, you know? And I feel like a lot of the times to help with that, um, when, we take, when we go from an interview to a meeting or any of those transitions, a lot of it is moving shots. So we're on dollies. We're moving through the city streets as Mark Ruffalo runs from the airport to, to the courthouse. And I feel like all of that plays in to creating a dynamic experience where we kind of are, are with the team. We're, we're kind of running at a breakneck speed trying to get all of this done, even though, you know, not a lot is happening. They, they spend months trying to get all, compile all of these stories, find all of these witnesses um, create a list of the priests, but it feels like something's always happening. Something's always moving. Wow. Yeah. I think that's absolutely it. I hadn't thought of it in, in that way before. I just knew like, like watching it, I thought like, you know, like you said, the subject matter stands out as innately interesting. So I thought it would be kind of an interesting movie, but I was captivated by it. Like there wasn't really a slow moment for me. I was like, interested throughout the whole movie and i was just waiting for them to be able to publish it and 
you know, bring the light to it. And I think like you've mentioned, that's kind of like the driving force behind it or like the general idea that makes it, it, it's just got that tension there between the community and the entrenchment of the Catholic church and the priests therein. Uh, and you, you just want some justice to be brought to the, for the victims. But yeah, what you say makes a lot of sense because it is, does have that driving force. And I think in, in certain instances of it, um, there, they're able to connect the two, like, you know, the short scene where they're discussing when to publish it and Mark Ruffalo is advocating to publish it now. And, um, you know, before other papers get to it and so they can just get the story out there and, and he wants to publish it now. And Michael Keaton is saying there's a bigger story and we need to wait. That scene just stands out because it's, you know, it's a, a dramatic scene. Um, Mark Ruffalo's character he's becomes really impassioned. So there's certain classical drama there um, that connects the the idea of you know what we said uh, the general idea of the story into the particular scene, which is as you mentioned the mechanic by which it, the story is told in an interesting and compelling way. Yeah. Um, and this is kind of perhaps stretching the quote, but there's, if if we kind of convert it into the abstract, there's that famous Hitchcock, Hitchcock quote about um, if you want to make the audience engaged by two people sitting at a table talking, first you show them, the, show them that there's a bomb underneath the table, and then they'll hang on every word of that conversation, even if it's the most banal conversation between two dudes sitting at a at a cafe table. If we know there's a bomb there, it's going to capture interest. And I feel like part of that is what makes Spotlight work, because we know how big of a story it is, especially because it is such a recent event. I'm pretty much I'm sure everybody going into the movie is aware of of you know kind of the bombshell that it was when there was proof that the Catholic Church was hiding and and aiding um, pedophile pedophiles and helping them to to not only avoid the consequences but to continue um, assaulting children and then, I mean, even in the film, they talk about how there's going to be this giant blowback from, from publishing the article, how it's really going to rock the community to the core. And so as, as it keeps us engaged as an audience, as they dig through all the, the minutiae of, of compiling the report, because we know at the end, something big is going to happen. One of the, the other things I noticed was talking about how um, McCarthy is just so focused is so much of it plays out in singles. I feel like, honestly, three quarters of the film is played out in single shots where oh, we're just on one person. So one person okay. is in frame. That's all we see. Um, one, one scene that really sticks out to me is right after uh, Ruffalo's character gets all um, heated in the, the debate about 
releasing the article now or waiting until after Christmas. And he shows up at um, McAdams' house, right? And then she comes out onto the porch and they sit there and drink a couple of beers and they talk about, um, you know, getting the article right and, and kind of um, the effect it will have on, on their family and, and peers and relations. Um, and that one particularly kind of stuck out to me because of the blocking of the scene. You have them sitting on this porch and an overlook of the city and you have Mark Ruffalo on the right side and Rachel McAdams is sitting on these stairs. And so like it, it's a, I think it's a, it's a pretty great scene that could have played out like from the doorway as we see both of them, but we just get the establishing shot and then it's played out in the singles, one off the other, um, Mark in profile and Rachel in like a, a head on shot. And most of the film is played out in singles. There are a few moments where we get a, a double or, or a shot of the team together in the office, but a lot of it is played out in those singles and it just makes you realize how much control McCarthy is showing. He, he is really like fine tuned, like every little bit of information we get. And it just made me like super respect him as a director because he, he's balancing everything so well. And just that that shot selection and he'll he'll show you like this person's reaction and then this person delivering a dia line of dialogue and and he is very precise in what he's showing. And I feel like the same is conveyed in his editing and in, in the pacing of the film is when they're when they're doing the interviews we never watch one interview all the way through instead we have two interviews and we'll go from a question in this interview to the answer in the other interview which not only gives this forward momentum we're talking about that there's never a dull moment we're always get, get, getting closer to that bomb explosion of of the paper being published but I felt like it also contributed to the universality of the experience because to me, really the, the film obviously like it's kind of heroicizing the columnists, but it's at its heart. It's about the victims. And I mean, it even has like, I'm pretty sure there's a text scroll at the bottom at the end where it says there were so many people who came and talked to spotlight that they were affected and, all of these priests in all of these cities did the same thing. And um, so that cross cutting of showing, yeah, we're only seeing, you know, four or five interviews and we're only seeing 90 priests, but really what we're talking about is kind of universal and it's affected all of the victims in a similar way, which is something I found really powerful and impactful. Um, especially the the end scene, the, the end of the film, which I, I want to talk about in a minute. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to hear your input. Got anything? <laughs> oh boy. I, no, like, no, like, I don't know. This is like ringing true for me, but I hadn't really thought of any of this before. And I knew the why, but I didn't really know how. So I'm learning stuff here. I don't know. That's what I feel like. 
That that's good. That makes that makes me feel validated validated to hear that it rings true for somebody else besides me. Um, I think we can learn a lot by taking time to to think about why why a particular film or or moment in cinema affects us in a certain way, and maybe it's just of more interest to me because I I want to to make a film um, someday, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of power in in cinema. It's it's really uh, a director is a, a puppeteer, and he's pulling on the strings of our emotions through the use of image and sound and and writing and and pacing and editing and acting and everything plays into eliciting an emotional response. And really, the the ending of Spotlight was just a, a power punch to me. And I didn't remember it being as, as impactful the first time I watched it, but rewatching it for this and thinking about the, the theme of the film is to me, if I were to describe the thesis of spotlight, it is about giving a voice to the, the powerless, to those victims of, the childhood victims of sexual crimes in the Catholic Church. I love the ending because it builds up this expectation of everybody freaking out and, and calling the globe to complain about the attack on the Catholic Church. And then Keaton and Ruffalo show up and it's quiet. And then they enter the spotlight room and the phones are off the hook not with people upset about the article, but with victims finally feeling like they have a voice because for 40, 50, 60 years, they've been told that they don't matter, that um, just shove it under the rug because the Catholic Church is so good. It's not, used to, it's not worth tarnishing their reputation for this one little incident that you had with a priest for a couple years. You're a kid, you'll get over it. And it was so cathartic to me to to see, you know, Keaton and Ruffalo walk in and they're just jaw drops as they realize, oh, those, these are all the victims. We're getting thousands of calls of people who have gone through this same thing. And because of societal pressures, because of, oh, so uh, Keaton has that great line where he's in the bar and the guy comes and he says, so this is how it works. A guy leans on another guy and, and nothing ever changes because that that is what the film's about it's about dismantling that societal structure of supporting the catholic church above what they were doing and you know making excuses oh it's one bad egg it's it's just you know this one incident and refusing to see the bigger picture refusing to to really listen to what was happening so really it's it's up there's in one of my great films cuz it just what a what a powerful moment and i felt like it it was earned throughout the film which i love there you go learning a lot here for me personally and uh yeah i think it's still um on netflix right now so at the time of recording this so there you go you got a recommendation people go check out spotlight yeah let, let us know what you think so um, I, I don't know. It sounds like we're wrapping up. So I do want to say um, I'm creating a, an Instagram page for the podcast. 
I don't really know what content will be on there, um, but hopefully it pr will provide some measure of of communication because I'd really love to know what people feel about the podcast, you know, what what type of content is more favorable or I don't know, just at times it feels like a podcast is kind of a unique medium because there's there's not a lot of feedback. It's more of a, a one way distribution channel. I'm like speaking into the void. Yeah. So uh, it's just called uh, NFTSS pod. Um, I'll, I'll create a post for each episode and if there's ever uh, feedback or questions or, or a viewpoint you have that you'd love to share please go there and comment it and I'd, lo I'd love to engage in more of a dialogue about about these films because I feel like we're trying to pick movies that are important to us for some reason and I'd love to hear if if they're important to you um, for the same or for different reasons and uh, kind of a new idea today or at least an attempt at a new idea to explore more of a concept rather than a particular film and use the films as the you know the vocabulary the syntax for discussing that film i i felt like it worked pretty well i, I feel I like was, this was a great i was success. interested and engaged personally you know maybe sometimes you know it feels a lot harder to just pick apart a single movie and you have a lot of ideas from that but i enjoyed the conversation today so i think we're going to definitely pursue this try to do more of deeper dives more into to what makes the movie work instead of just oh here this was a good movie because i liked it <laughs> so uh yeah let me know what people think about this episode and and we'll shoot to do the next one in in a similar format peace oh. <laughs>Thank you so much for listening to Notes from the Silver Screen. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We'd love to know what you think about the new format, so head over to our Instagram page at nftss underscore pod. And as always, join us right back here in a couple of weeks for a new episode on bottle movies. We'll look at My Dinner with Andre, 7500, and The Sunset Limited.